Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome back to the Beer Ladies Podcast. Today I am the host, Carolyn, and in this episode we will be talking about Chicha Brewing. Now before I introduce our guest and co-host, a reminder that we are on YouTube and if you prefer to watch or you can get us on anywhere that you listen to your podcast. So please subscribe and tell a friend. Today let's meet our co-host slash guest. We're all co-hosts and guests. Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Christina. Back again. Okay. <laughs> Can't get rid of us. What's everybody drinking today? Lisa, do you want to start? I can start. So I'm starting off with Whiplash Bone Machine. And actually, let me show you for those of you uh, who are on the YouTube. They have uh, some fabulous art on Whiplash. They are a local Dublin brewery. We're going to do some cool stuff with them later. So spoiler alert. But uh, one reason I've gone with this is because it's, uh, it, it's uh, pretty low key. It's, um, but it's just really, really flavorful, really tasty, very, very fresh. So I think the, the one advantage of, of lockdown, if you like, is everyone is delivering their beer to your home, really, really fresh, you know, straight, uh, straight from the from being canned. So well done, everyone at Whiplash. I am drinking a hazy IPA from White Hag. White Hag are another Irish brewery. I think they're in Sligo. Yeah, Sligo. And they do great stuff. And I am kind of looking forward to their, their is it they, they have an eggnog beer coming out Ooh, for Christmas. And I'm look, I'm going to look forward to that one. I am drinking a Belgium raspberry beer. Uh, good old so, Bacchus. Bacchus. Trying something different. I am not drinking beer at all. But it's appropriate because... It's on theme! So I made chicha morada. um, Basically, Peruvian purple drink. Um, It's it's made from chicha, um, or it's made from corn, I should say. Um, Purple purple corn. Um, So what I did is... Yeah, the really purple. (laughs) It's gorgeous to look at. It's really really pretty. Um, So I sourced some... um, purple corn flour online um and you can also use that to make like scones or cornbread and like i have some left so i'm gonna make tortilla chips and maybe a little cornbread yum 
So basically what you do is you take the, the flour. You can actually take whole um, corn cobs as well to make this. That's more of the traditional way. I kind of shortcutted it a bit. Um, and you boil it um, with like cloves and cinnamon. So since tis the spooky season, I just use pumpkin spice um, because I have a bottle of Trader Joe's pumpkin spice and it's delicious. <laughs> so I just dumped a bunch of that in there and some brown sugar. Um, and let that boil for a bit. Then I cooled it, um, chilled it, and I cut up some um, fresh green apple. Um, oh, traditionally, lovely. it's made with pineapple rind and fresh pineapple, but I didn't have that on hand. So I opted for green apple, which apparently is an okay substitute. And then some lime, and off we go. And it is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> so that so good. was not in your mouth at any stage before you started drinking it. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> No. <laughs> yes, we will certainly get to that. Important yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll explain why Katie is asking that. Yeah. Later, but it's really, really nice. It's very refreshing. It's delicious. I highly recommend making this. It's very easy to make. And I'm thinking of actually trying with a little bit of spiced rum if I want to make it boozy. Ooh. But it's very, very good. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Nice cocktail idea. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. <laughs> mm. I'm jealous. I wish I could try some right now. I'll make you some. (laughs) Yes, for those listening outside Ireland, we are all on lockdown here, so we can't just all hang out together and uh, have a couple drinks, uh, you know, in each other's homes. So we're virtual as per usual. But uh, yeah, so we have to kind of, um, I guess, share our recipes and and see what's working and each try our own little version and see how it goes. Yeah, we should all do that. Experimentation at its finest. That would be fun. For sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. I have a couple like historical cocktails and all that kind of stuff that we could oh, all try yes. to make as well Ooh, that'll be a thing we'll do that that'll be a thing that we yes. do make a note yes good <laughs> idea yes yeah I think another good segue Katie this is your first episode so we're so excited yeah. what do you, what are you expecting or what do you want to learn what what do you think uh I, I guess can we can we teach you the secrets of chicha I don't know <laughs> I think you can definitely <laughs> I know very little about chicha I had heard of it before um, you said that we were going to record this episode. So I kind of I kind of knew that it was out there, but um, it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, right? you're like, huh? Yeah, yeah. I know and, nothing about it as well. And then so. when Christina said, oh, I have a, I'm making a chicha drink. And I was like, oh, OK. So that's why I was asking you, was that yeah. in your mouth? So no, you boiled that to replicate the. I don't know, whatever happens in the process. Yes. Yes. It doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, masticate the, uh, the yes. corn in order to, to make chicha, but it is an option. Yeah. And we can yeah. talk about that uh, a little bit later. Yeah. But we're excited to learn about it because I know nothing about it. Just like Katie. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, anytime you get me and you get Christine on, we'll talk a little history, but we're going to, we're going to do just fun stuff too. have, you know, general banter, all the, all the fun stuff, but yeah, we'll definitely go through Chicha and actually there's been interesting Chicha research over the past couple of years. So we, we know more now than we did, you know, just a few years ago about it. So it's, it's actually a, kind of a, an exciting time to be talking Chicha. Who knew that, you know, in the year of our Lord 2020, we'd be learning new things about it, but here we are. Yeah. Do you want to start, Lisa? Do you want to give people kind of an introduction as to like what Chicha is? I'll I'll start a, a little bit. I'll I'll sort of give my my weird personal introduction to Chicha because you know we want to make it fun and get people involved. So I think probably 
like a lot of people, at least in North America, discovered uh, chicha through Dogfish Head Brewing. So uh, long story short, uh, used to live not too far from there, there in Delaware. We lived in the Philadelphia area. My in-laws have a house very near the brewery though. So we would go down there actually quite often and uh, hang out at the brewery. I would do their 10K run every year. I miss doing that because it was super, super fun. But about, um, I guess it's about 11 years ago now, they first came across Chicha as a concept uh, and started getting into, ooh, you know, wh what's the sort of historical background and could we make one? And I think uh, because their reputation has always been a little bit trying to do something weird, uh, off-centered, as they say in their branding, they liked the idea and sort of, I think, latched on to the, the notion of, ooh, part of the brewing process here involves chewing something and spitting it out again. That sounds gross. Let's do it. And uh, so, you know, that was almost more the, you know, the, the marketing tagline than anything else. Although I, I think like as with their, their sort of other ancient ales where they have, you know, they, they do partner with real archaeologists and, uh, you know, real chemical archaeologists to do the work. They find out, you know, what, what is the real science? And they kind of go off and do their own thing with it. So I first had their version of Chicha, which again was based on real research, but, you know, different. Well, and we'll get to how it was different in a minute. But uh, I guess it would have been again. And then about, about 10 years ago. So they actually had it on in the brew pub uh, after one of, the, one of the races. So it was kind of this wonderful, refreshing, very light, actually quite dry uh, beer that you would have, uh, you know, after running only about sort of uh, three and a half, four percent uh, ABV. So actually really nice to have after you've finished a run. Uh, and for those first couple of batches, and I think for subsequent ones they have done too, they have gotten people at the brewery to do the chewing, spit it out, and then they go through, it's very sanitary because it still goes into the boil after all of that's happened. So that's sort of kickstarting the fermentation process, but the, you know everything else still happens. It's not sort of something that's gone sort of directly from someone else into your mouth like a baby bird or anything like that. It's not like that, but, uh, and I think Christina's probably gonna go into how the sort of traditional brewing process works, but uh, they sort of took that, scaled it up a bit and made, uh, you know, what we could, might call a more palatable version. So that's how I first came across it. And then they, they actually got a sort of TV show where they went to Peru and looked at tr uh, traditional makers and talked to them and found out a little bit more about, you know, sort of the, the different ways in which people, uh, you know, sort of the, the different places people drink chicha, the different ways it's still actually a ceremonial drink too, as well as just being something refreshing for a hot day. So it's got all these different uses. It's got a very, very, very long history. And I think we'll find too, it hasn't always been chewed. There's different, uh, different ways and means to go about this. So I've just said a lot about how I first sort of came across chicha, but long story short, it's probably been made in some form or another for at least 8,000 years and possibly even longer since we, you know, the more you get uh, into the study of these things, we always get knocked back another thousand years or another 2,000 years as you get better and better chemical analysis. So long-winded, but long story short, as long as you've got grass and often you have hay to do the sort of filtering, you've got the beginnings of how you can make this. And I mean, we could even just talk about the domestication of corn, maize, maize corn anyway, for a long time that's its own subject but it'll get us a loft track so i'll stop there it's a lot but it's really interesting so yeah pause and take a drink yeah i'm interested yeah. in hearing and about all this is it centered in like uh peruvian culture or has it spread had it spread to south america had it had it gone gone global gone viral and in general so peru okay. bolivia uh 
it very much associated still with with Peru and and again sort of the the more mountainous parts of Bolivia too, which is actually interesting in its own way too because you had you know again going back to sort of the domestication of corn happens in Mexico in the highlands and then goes down to the lowlands but then comes back up into these mountainous areas in in Peru and Bolivia so it's a whole interesting sort of what went where when and we don't know all of that we think we know bits and pieces of that but it's uh it goes back further and further it's fascinating stuff and it's um but it's still definitely something very much associated with these sort of mountain communities but really I, I think has a a nationwide hold at this point in in Peru certainly absolutely well, should I talk about how I ran into go on let's <laughs> yeah. go. Ran into Chicha. everyone's personal chicha story <laughs> So, so I, I encountered Chicha for the first time um, during the course of my research on women in brewing because Chicha brewing was very female dominated. It was, it was something that women made um, and had high status making um, in certain cultures. There's definitely evidence that men uh, made the beverage at various points in history. Um, men are depicted brewing it um, in certain artwork and things like that. But brewing chicha is the sources do seem to indicate was a predominantly female occupation and one that had some some high status. And we'll sort of get into that a bit more later on what those women were in certain cultures and, and just how this might be a reflection of, of their position in society. And so I, I encountered it then and um, sort of looked around desperately to see if I could find some to drink um, that was available in Europe. And of course um, found nothing. <laughs> um, so that's when I encountered uh, Chicha Morada, though that's more recently I've been, I think I encountered Chicha for the first time years and years and years ago, but recently um found some recipes for chicha morada to make myself. Uh, but yeah, so that's where I encountered chicha and just the fascinating long-standing history of women brewing in, in the Indian cultures and sort of a way for it to challenge the idea that women were pushed out of brewing globally. I think sometimes when we're studying women who brew, we make the mistake of um, centering European mm-hmm. women And just because, and not even all European cultures, right? So really English, French, and German, um, predominantly when we talk about historical brewing women, it seems to be that, that picture of that alewife seems to be, she's either French, um, German, or English, Scottish. Um, And, and then that, that depiction is sort of just projected onto other cultures, um, which I will challenge in my book um, coming up. Yes, plugging the book. Um, when I can (laughs) but but I think it's a problem when when we kind of sort of globally ascribe this idea of an alewife um, as someone who is globally pushed out of brewing when we can see in Indian culture just a a very long tradition and a tradition that still exists of women dominating and still controlling the brewing industry so I think we need to be really careful with our language when we're talking about who is pushed out and where and you know women because women still do dominate and have dominated brewing for centuries in all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's another piece too around, you know, those assumptions too around what beer is because we're still talking about a fermented grain that you're turning into alcohol. And, you know, we get this sort of anti-corn and again, corn being maize in this instance bias for people who, you know, have you know sort of grown up on or grown up around your sort of American adjunct lager. We're like, oh, corn, bad. You don't want corn in your beer. But at the same time, 
in other cultures, it has been, you know, absolutely part and parcel of the brewing process. And you can have a really good beer with corn in it. it you know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I think there's this um, hangover, if you like, that people get from that sort of um, cheap mass produced thing. But we're talking about something that actually, yes, was produced at scale at some times is still a cottage industry and, and even still, you know, on a larger scale too. But, it, you know, the, the, the ingredients are not, you know, are not a bad thing. It's, you know, we have this this very sort of, you know, culturally derived lens where we have to be like, oh, no, it's it's a different set of circumstances. You know, these ingredients don't carry that kind of baggage. And, and to Christina's point, you know, different people are making them. It's not, uh, it's it's a very different, uh, very different perspective. And I suppose all cultures all over the world had to adapt their local flora and, sorry, their, their flora to to brew with right because i know like we have in ireland we've we have barley right but we we hops aren't don't grow here naturally no hops aren't native no not not at all so i'm sure that we use something else back in the day yes you did (laughs) (laughs) yes you did yeah no and and i think that's a really interesting thing about beer and particularly um beer styles were for indigenous cultures is how people all over the world had this desire to to drink these fermented beverages and how they really reflect what's what you said like the local flora that's available in in wherever they're living and you know that's what we see with chicha and that's what we see with the irish beer versus you know you know a beer from from england for example um hops you know different kinds of hops and different so it's it's something that's really really interesting yeah, absolutely. And then we'll get into a whole thing too, because, you know, while it's even now still an everyday beverage, just, you know, cool off of the drink, it's off, you know, again, alluded to it a bit earlier, often, you know, still kind of a ceremonial beverage in some ways. But we also know that this was absolutely 100% a ceremonial beverage in certain contexts. And again, context is key. It's all about, you know, the different ways people are, are drinking this, you know, different ways they're making it, different ways they're sort of approaching it. It's, um, something that's, you know, could be very kind of commonplace could also be very much part and parcel of the sort of whole ritual life of the culture that, uh, you, you know, I, I think we, we do still see in certain ways um, in other beverages, but, you know, it's, it's also, it's magical too. So there's this other piece where, you know, you've, um, you've taken the grain, you've changed it, you've done the magic, and then you can sort of use that to kind of imbue whatever ritual, you know, you, you have too with it. And we do know that uh, they would use chicha in sort of, uh, you know, human sacrifice rituals, things like that. And those are the things that get the headlines. That's not necessarily the everyday stuff. You know, that's what people like to fixate on as sort of the other and the, you know, kind of the the sexy thing that uh, people like to look at. But again, you have to remember that a lot of this was written down when it was written down by the Spanish. Yeah, there's a whole colonialism aspect to it. So, you know, Don't lots of that them. there too. Yes. <laughs> I, can Im- I can imagine the Spaniards like rocking up to like a, 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 a Peruvian ceremony or something. And they're saying, what are you doing to the, what did you do? You, you chewed that, you brewed it. And now you're doing what? And now you're person? doing a sacrifice? Yeah. Well, we have to write this down even and make it seem like you do it for all your sacrifices. Exactly. You don't drink it just, every day. That this is your every day. Yeah. You, you know, but the interesting well, is we actually yeah. have really good archaeological evidence, too, for how that did happen. So it's it's cool stuff. And it's it, but it's all about, again, what does it mean to these people? What does it mean to this culture? And there's, you know, again, uh, they, and Christina is going to laugh, but you know, archaeology likes to talk about like ways of seeing like any kind of sort of humanities subject it's all about like what's you know what what are you know kind of what's the audience they're getting how are we looking at it it's all uh there's, there's lots of layers to unpeel so 
Yeah, archaeology likes to assume that everything is a ritual. That's kind of the long-standing and ongoing inside joke with archaeologists. What was it for? Ritual purposes. Um, Yeah, but I I think we we also have to remember, like, when we're reading these sorts of things, like, who is the audience that they're writing for and why are they writing it? Because most of the time when they're writing these things, they're trying to other them as much as possible to demonstrate and prove why they had a right to colonize and destroy them. So for example, um, in, in an Irish context, we could talk about Gerald of Wales. So Gerald of Wales wrote this scathing diatribe about the <laughs> Irish, about how, you know, they, they, they have all these horrible rich sacrificing horses and, and just awful things that they did. And, you know, this is used to, by the English to sort of, you know, explain why they're doing oh well these people are awful of course we had to go over and do this look at them they're you know and savages savages right Right? and most of it's complete and utter rubbish right because it's the colonizer that that's what they're writing this for um but i didn't i didn't realize that they were in like west clare in the 1980s really Yeah, we used to sacrifice horses all the time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 the same. It's the same thing with the Vikings. So so um, I wrote, of course, I wrote my thesis on the Vikings, and like, like there's a really popular argument that the Vikings, you know, performed human sacrifice and stuff. But really, the evidence for that is quite scant. Um, and I'm I'm really not convinced that it was a widespread practice or really, you know, at all. Um, a lot of it seems to be really based on uh, biases and um, misreading of the archaeology or Victorians looking at archaeology and then <laughs> modern archaeologists trying to interpret what the Victorians interpreted in the first place. But then the Victorians, of course, got rid of everything get the skulls because bones aren't important. Who cares about that? Let's sell off the, the gold and silver and let's keep the skulls for phrenology. Yes. They've got so, funny bumps. Come on, guys. You know. So it's more like it's, you know, it's it's a game of of telephone where, oh, you know, he said, she said, they said, I said, oh. And it, yeah, so I'm just not convinced about that. And then again, it's a, it's a system of, um, you know, someone writing something and well, why are they writing this? And they're writing this in a, in a often Muslim context. So, so what we get a lot of our sources the source I should say for human sacrifice is a Muslim source. And, you know, why is he writing this? Who's his audience? And again, it's the audience is the people back home. Mm -hmm. And it's to basically say, Oh, these people are very different and look at this awful thing that they're doing. And I'm really not a big fan. And also remember, he doesn't speak the language. He doesn't really understand what's happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then there's a whole nother argument about there in Russia and our Russians Russian people at this time, Vikings, and no, I don't think so. But you know, that's yeah, that argument's going to continue. Just don't that, don't at me. <laughs> Do not at me. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a whole other kettle of fish that I'm sure that I just opened up. So thanks for that. <laughs> that's why I we have, have beer. So I have really beer. interesting novels on my head. Oh, we, we could open up a whole sort of phrenology clinic when we're allowed to be, you know, oh, yeah. around people again and just start we'll being just like, start... ooh, yeah, you're very good. At, you're very musical or, you know, whatever. <laughs> thing. There we go. Because I, I actually have a big dent in my skull because I had something removed when I was a baby. 
and it's left a big massive dent so i don't know i might confuse dent in my forehead from running into a table somewhere uh as a small child but yeah for 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 those listening at home who are like what are you people on about so if if you're if you're not au fait with phrenology it was very big in the 19th century and uh yeah, and, and even a little bit before that, too. So really, you know, everything about the shape of your skull was going to say if you were, uh, oh, gosh, what were the different types you could classify people into? They're horrible. They're sort of a criminal and mm-hmm. you know, very broad categories. And uh, surprise, like white Englishmen were all at the top and everyone Shock. else was sort of something else somewhere. Shock. So, yes, surprise. Shocking. I'm so shocked. Yeah. I know. I know. Yes. They don't so- <laughs> actually do female skulls very much at all, which is interesting. And when they did, it would all either be like, oh, you're very musical or, oh, you enjoy embroidery or, you know, whatever other. Well, I mean, it's like it's a do. carry on for like from now. So like, you know how they don't do medical studies on women. They don't yeah. like True. On men and then wonder why women are, you know, having heart attacks of, and dying from this. Well, you don't test on women. So I wonder. Yeah, it's like th- thalamide was, was oh, yes. tested solely on men. And that's why they didn't realize that when they gave it to women for morning sickness, that it was it yeah, was going like, to oh, have it. Bad. Who knew? Well, they didn't yeah. say our bad for like 35 years. But yeah, still. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, it still goes on, especially in like sports medicine, where they're getting better at doing it with like medication and stuff. But sports medicine, they don't do it all. They only figured out only a few years ago that uh, like teenage female athletes tear their ACLs at much higher rates because they land differently. It didn't ever occur to anyone to look to see if they jumped differently. And they did. And so and it's like the whole female, the, yeah. the whole female pelvis is is completely different to the male Never pelvis. And... to anyone. To yeah, look. because no. people who carry babies versus people who don't carry babies, of course, it's going to be different. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we would be unstable in a clinical trial because you know right. hormones and moods and and uh, you know how do how would you uh, how would you account for that? We're so oh. emotional. Oh, yeah. don't even get me in. Don't even get me into this area. <laughs> Oh, oh, I get so yes. angry about people that use that. Stop using hysteria. Yes, I used to work in medical archives that focused on the history of women in medicine. Whole, oh, there's a whole. We could talk about that for a very long time. Oh, and especially the racist undertones. Oh, don't even the oh hmm. god the gynecological studies that were conducted. But the back to gynecology is an asshole. It's a terrible fucking. Yes, thing. absolutely. No, absolutely. Okay, but while I'm on a rant, I'm going to have a little bit about the Spanish. I think Please. they're absolute hypocrites because they're sitting here, you know, they're you know they're passing judgment on the Inca people or the Wari people from you know possibly conducting human sacrifices when they had the Inquisition. Like, what what is it that they oh, yeah. that, that is? They're sacrificing heretics to the peace their god. Like it's literally the same thing. So why? What's yeah. the, I don't understand because Same they thing. probably don't think it's wrong for them to do it. Of course, well, but exactly. they think it's wrong that other cultures or people that they oh. don't understand are doing it. Oh, absolutely. That that's the thing. It's just that they're massive, massive, massive hypocrites. It's it's like your God is the wrong God and my God is the right yeah. God. Oh, Dude. I mean, it's, uh, it's the age old <laughs> argument. My God is better than your. We're God. still arguing yeah. that today, guys. Yeah, <laughs> we're always going to be arguing about this. That's never going away. True enough. True enough. But and that so let's circle back, I think, to this whole this whole idea that the chewing bit, because I think there's yeah. there's a really interesting piece in ju- just sort of there there's the sort of mechanics of the production of chicha. But we'll also get into how there is more recent research that says maybe that wasn't always the whole thing. Maybe there was more going on there. And there's again, there's cool archaeology about this. So folks listening at home, I'm, cool I'm archaeology. Just... 
Lisa, I'm just hoping that you don't say something like, you know, the way that you feed coffee to certain <laughs> animals and then no. you're no. like, don't tell me that None happens. That. No. I, I, no, 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 I don't no, even okay. know that no, that no, happens. No, no. So thanks for that, Katie. No. No. <laughs> I've only discovered Nothing that like recently. That. About the okay, so like glad that. I'm not the only one that's like, what? No, yeah. it, it was a, it was a way for 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 pre-modern cultures to release the enzymes in in the grain. So in in the corn. So they were chewing in order to release the enzymes and there's of course technical names for that but that's neither here nor there. Um so that's what they were doing. So that was part of the brewing process. It was it was a way to release these enzymes. And this is something that, you know, it wasn't just an Indian culture thing. Of course the Japanese were doing this with sake. Yeah. So this this was also this was also a thing there's a kind of sake in Japan called beautiful woman sake that's particularly like chewed by pretty young women, um, which is expensive, <laughs> um, still exists. So th- this was a way to release those enzymes in the in the process. Um, something they came up with, which was actually quite clever, very clever um, way to to jumpstart sort of a brewing process. It's, it's quite quite clever. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is they would take that, you know, that germinated corn and chew it a bit and then, you know, stick it in your, your kettle and boil it away. And then, and then you know, you're sort of off to the races. But th- there's also this sort of implicit so, sort of thought then, too, of, oh, well, they were doing this because they didn't know how to do malting and, you know, things like that. However, this is actually really interesting. In the last couple of years, they have discovered evidence of potential malting to make chicha and and go dating back to I think and I'm just going to consult my notes now so between uh sort of 600 to 1000 uh common era so you know that's pretty cool to be like malting away so you've got your your germination going and uh so you don't have to do the the chewing part and you know again the, the other thing they that people like to tell you when sort of archaeology 101 is absence of evidence is not evidence of absence but we do have evidence of absence because when they actually go and analyze the uh, the skulls and the teeth, they're not finding evidence of people, the women specifically, chewing and chewing as they would have done. You know, th- that's actually something you would see really, really easily in, in the skeleton. They're not seeing it. So they're like, oh, they figured out they didn't have to do it. Now, that's still clearly a part of sort of the, the traditional sort of home brewing uh, process. But they were making this at scale and they were making this at scale, you know, in you know, 900 CE. So it's, uh, you know, they had to figure out how to do this again, whether that was for ritual or again, even if it's not ritual, sometimes you just need to have a whole bunch of beer so that your, you know, your culture can have a party and have a good time. It's not always some kind of like dire, you know, uh, you know, everything bad's going to happen if we don't do this. You know, sometimes ritual is just everyone got together and had a party. It's, you know, it's a bit of everything, but if you have to do it at scale, you want to figure out a way to do this. It's going to be faster than people individually sort of chewing putting it in the pot going on that works if you're only making you know a little bit at home but if you've got a whole culture to keep drinking you gotta gotta scale Can you up. go and explain what malting is a bit more for people <laughs> like me for example who don't really know what that's i mean we know question. what it is but that's we don't know question, what it is <laughs> that's a good question and actually i was just looking up uh because the house we're hopefully buying is near where the former Mountjoy brewery was uh, not too far from the prison folks in Dublin. Yay. Yay! Uh, But, uh, but they did have a whole malting house there and all kinds of stuff. So I was like, Oh, I wonder if any of that's still there because some of the buildings do still exist. But uh, yeah, when you're malting, you're basically starting that germination process. So you're getting the grain, you're sort of 
cracking it just enough that it can start waking up if you like it almost starts to sprout you need to have it kind of i, I can't remember how humid do you need it uh, christina slightly, help me slightly, out here. slightly damp just just yeah. yeah yeah so your your multi house is a weird environment it's kind of it's dark damp ish but not too it's not soaking wet like it's not like a sauna but it's not unlike in some ways but yeah you're basically trying to get it to that sort of first like two to three days of germination and then you want to take it away and start roasting your malts and getting them to whatever color you want for for different reasons within the brewing process so you know we're we're used to having guinness here people like to talk about like your black patent malts although actually they mostly use pale malt but anyway there's all kinds of stuff you can get into there in terms of how much you you roast your your malts they probably weren't roasting your malts because as far as we know chicha tends to be a fairly light drink mm -hmm. but again we don't 100 percent know you know what it would have looked like historically so there's potentially a lot of variation they may have also done some roasting or they may have just said no oh, it's good off we go so yeah yeah and just to just to touch on the the, the sort of brewing at scale um from 600 to 1000 CE the Wari Empire dominated sort of Peru and we know that elite women were brewing there but they made yeah. this massive brewery huge brewery um and we know that women were brewing there because there's these these uh, tupu shaw pins that were found within the brewery, um, which led the researchers to conclude that women were, and particularly prominent women, um, were were taking part at the brewery in a, ma in, a, in, a, in a massive scale. And I just want to talk to you about how big this brewery is, just so you guys can get an idea. So I'm just going to look at my notes here. Um, it had 12 large vats holding about 150 liters of beer. Um, and this led the researchers to indicate a production capacity of around 1,800 liters per batch. So yeah, um, this is a lot. Yeah, Making this one of the largest pre-Inca breweries yet discovered in the Americas. Um, so this is huge, huge. And when the Wari left the site, um, they burned down and sacrificed all the buildings, including the brewery. Um, and the brewery had one of the most elaborate destruction ceremonies. Um, and so the original equipment was offered up as a final offering. So even brewing was a ritual process, not just not the, pro the final product wasn't, wasn't the only part of the ritual. And so they did, as I said, ritually destroy it. So it's to get an idea of really how important this is and how big the, the, the production could be for remembering the size of these cultures and the size, yeah. the amount of people that were actually present. This is a lot. Um, what would have been like an uh, a ballpark population of of like the Peruvian cultures around that time that's a good question oh, that okay. is a good question well because if you're brewing that much beer you're not just yeah. brewing it for rituals like if you're going to spend the time to brew, brew that much beer on that large of a scale somebody's got to drink it like well, every time well, can harry in the fields are like the thing the thing to remember is is not necessarily to separate ritual from daily life with yeah. a lot of culture like it's um to circle back again to like viking culture like the ritual was the daily like everything True. was imbued with some sort of so when we say something had ritual importance it doesn't mean like oh you know i'm only doing this on like a certain ceremony on a certain day and then we're pouring it out and whatever it could be 
this is a really sacred beverage for me. I'm going to share this with you. We're going to drink this together as an act of hospitality. And this is important to us, or yeah. we're, we're going to drink this together because, Hey, it's the end of the day. And this is a, this is a thing that we do together as a, as a, it doesn't have to be this elaborate thing. It can, Absolutely. it can be these tiny, simple everyday tasks, but they're important. Um, ideas of hospitality throughout the world, um, really important and take on a, a massive ritual significance in European culture and India everywhere. So, you know, th- it could be little things like that, okay. which actually take on this, this, this ritual, but not in a sort of conscious daily, oh, I'm thinking about this and this is, re- you, do you understand? Yeah. So it's like a, a cup of tea. Like Absolutely. if you call into somebody, they go, you'll have a cup of tea, you'll sit down <laughs> and, and you drink tea. You know, in Ireland anyway, growing up in yeah. Ireland, everywhere you went, you were always offered a cup of tea because that was the thing. Were you, offer, are you, were you offered a cup of tea or were you like, here's your cup of tea? <laughs> you <laughs> don't have a choice. Uh, go on. 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 You were offered, right? But if you said, oh, I don't drink tea, then they looked at you like uh, <laughs> it's something. You violated the ritual. Right yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and but that's it exactly. That's so important because yeah, the same thing could be, you know, in a high, you know, high ritual, let's call it that, or in just a, a day-to-day thing. It doesn't have to be this big, you know, super sacred thing. It could be, you know, used in both or there could have been a slightly different preparation. Like we don't know that. Like that's something that, that again, we might have known more about if people hadn't sort of turned up and given everyone smallpox and destroyed right. things but you know hey here we are so. so it could be it could be that the brewing was really ritually important and then the and then the consumption was just sort of like in some cases it was sort of like the 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 end process of the ritual so the process the ritual significance started at the brewing process the people that are brewing it and then the final conclusion is simply drinking it so you know it doesn't always have to have this elaborate to do so the yeah. women that were brewing the spear were they of all statuses were they i mean i know we don't know exactly but from what we can gather from historians archaeologists were they of all statuses or were they only certain well this has been going on for so long so so like as as lisa said i mean millennia right so 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 we the the when i'm talking about the inca and the wari empires i am talking about sort of elite women um but that's not to say that your everyday woman wasn't brewing this in her home, which right. is quite possible because that's it, it's the case that we find throughout the world. So it's it's quite possible that that's the case. But when we're talking about these big breweries or these 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 sort of ritual centers, we are finding high status women. So, for example, in the in the in the Peruvian in the Incan Empire, I should say the Peruvian Empire. <laughs> we're all in Peru. In the Incan <laughs> Empire, um, we're talking about uh, the houses of the chosen women. Um, the chosen women um, being the, the group that that's brewing. And what would happen is representatives would go all over the Incan empire and get these, these young girls, eight and 10, between eight and 10, who were beautiful and smart. And they would take them into service as these chosen women. And these women would, le- well, these girls, <laughs> very young girls would learn um, how to weave and, and these sorts of things. And another thing that they would learn would be how to, to, to make chicha. And these 
they would brew this beer that would be consumed and sacrificed at these feasts and ceremonies, these massive state-sponsored feasts and ceremonies. Now, the women themselves would go on to marry nobles or high-status men. The state would sort of arrange marriages. Or going back to this idea of possible human sacrifice, that's a possibility. And then also some scholars have argued that some of them sort of ended in a more of like a as single women and just continued on sort of living living in sort of enclaves but but they had have uh, would there have been anything like along the 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 geisha thing where they would have sort of so some of these women some of these women were second wives um or concubines to the emperor um but Again, the interpretation of this information is is through a different lens. And so I'm kind of reticent to kind of agree with any of those things because speaking from an Irish example is we we assumed in Ireland for so long that there was this idea of second wives and um, idea of an adult track, which is literally the term for adulteress, and this idea that men had multiple wives. And then we're kind of hearing that, well, maybe not in reality, that wasn't so much the case. And this is a big argument now in, in Irish history. So I, I'm just really reticent to kind of use those, especially particularly when we're using like words like concubine and kind of having this, this idea. I'm really not comfortable making those comparisons when we're looking at it through a sort of year of European Eurocentric lens, you're not quite understanding exactly the ritual importance or the importance of this person. And I'm not really happy with those, that language. Does that make sense? Am yeah. I? Yeah. yeah. That I makes just, complete sense. I'm, I'm just, just even, oh no, go ahead, Katie. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm just like trying to put myself in, in the shoes of like a, a, a prepubescent girl being plucked from her family and I'm like was it was it like uh, a really good thing to happen to a family it would would have been an honor it would have have been an honor it would have been a huge honor it was a way to establish ties between um, the the central state and 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 their nobles and the high status families throughout the region it was definitely something of status and if we're looking at the language surrounding women who are choosing to be or who are chosen to be sacrificed, this is a happy thing for them that this is, it's not presented in a, Oh, you know, scary. It's a natural conclusion to what they're doing. And it's a, it's a great honor. So I think we need to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but definitely an honor. It was definitely viewed as an honor, but again, through this Eurocentric lens, we need to be kind of, cognizant of language. Yeah, I think that's really important. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I think there's another piece too around sort of, you know, how, how even now some of the people who are kind of the best chicha makers, it's, it's sort of this occult knowledge, which I'm putting occult in the sense of there's something that they're not going to tell you about how they're making it. There's something about the people who are really good at it. You know, it's like with anything that, you know, no one's going to share the best part of their secret recipe for, for whatever. There's still some element of this that people keep hidden. And again, it's that idea of kind of the the, the ritual is not necessarily this big ritual, but there's a there's a piece that, you know, you just don't share with other people. And we don't know how far back that goes. I mean, I think it's easy and people like to sort of be like, oh, there's this long you know tradition of sort of folk memory of doing X or Y. There may well be. We don't know. But there may not be too. Like it may just be, you know, a couple generations of, oh, well, my grandmother did it this way. But it is interesting that it is still passed down, you know, from sort of, you know, grandmother to daughter, you know, sort of grandmother, mother, daughter. And there are still bits that they don't tell other people necessarily, even when um, when people are going and trying to learn how they'll tell them certain things, but they're not going to tell them everything. And again, that's just a sort of you know, again, you're not going to give away your, you know, your best secret. You know, the, the you know, Coca-Cola is not going to tell you you know, what their recipe is. That's why there's no patent. So it's, uh, it's the same idea. It's just in a sort of less, uh, I'm not going to say less capitalist lens, because it's, you know, it's still you're, you're keeping something because it's valuable to you. But there's there's an element there too of it's secret because it's important. And there's something about that that's really uh, kind of key to how, how it's made. And again, there's, it, it, it's nice to think that this is a sort of continuum. And it yeah. may not be, but it, it may not be too. So. And that reminds me of of that uh, amazing movie, amazing classical uh, uh, movie, uh, Beer Fest, you know, yes. <laughs> where they have their family recipe yes. for the beer. I still haven't seen it. It's so, it's, I know. It's so cheesy, oh <laughs> but it's so entertaining, especially yeah. if you like beer. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Cheesy yeah. but entertaining. Yeah. Uh, especially now when we're on the, like when you're on lockdown, you don't want to think too much like, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And sorry, podcast listeners, we're making you think a little bit, but it's fun. You know, you can have a beer. It's all good. So. So can you buy chicha or some form of it today? I know you said dogfish had. So are they still doing it? Every couple years. Or like. All batches because they do go all in on the chewing. Okay. But like, let's say like you're in like Texas, California, Arizona, like one of the border 
town or one of the border states that's a great question as we call them like can you find it probably more easily there than you can somewhere else? i don't i'm just you and i know you might not know the answer i mean it's yeah it's definitely still made in in throughout peru and right yeah and you you can absolutely i mean if you're there you can absolutely get it so i would imagine any 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 place with a large diaspora um, yeah, population awesome. you could probably have access to it or people in the community who make it yeah, um, I, I would wonder if they like have they got commercial chicha breweries at the moment. I do remember coming across a a a Peruvian sort of brewery that claimed to be making chicha, but then when you came to try to get it, I could never get a bottle. So yeah, like like would you most likely find it in like a Hispanic market or like I'm, I mean I'm googling this. Yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> I've I've never seen it. Like you said, even like you know, in California or, or that kind of thing. I've but, never seen it in Texas. So that's why yeah. I'm asking because like, I've never seen it in Texas, but then again, I don't, I don't shop at the Hispanic markets as that's much. That's where as, all the good salsa verde is. I know as much as I should. That's what I was about to say. Like that's where all the good stuff is and the cheap meat, oh. like the good cheap meat. <laughs> we, we had to, we had to make our own chilaquiles yesterday. Cause I was Ooh. craving chilaquiles for reasons uh yeah actually pretty good so super value uh tortilla chips folks uh actually really good for chilaquiles so own brand own brand yeah cheapest ones you can get it was gorgeous it so, seems yeah. it seems just to, to jump back in it just seems like it's still mostly home brewers um and okay. un, as an unlicensed way to to supplement their income um i'm looking at this web uh, this article from Brew Together, and they were in Peru in 2019, and they couldn't find a single commercial chicha brewer. And yet, it was probably pretty omnipresent. Okay. Yeah, and it was, and it was everywhere um, with sort of home brewers. So it does yeah. seem to be sort of a thing um, that is still. So it's very local. Yeah, uh, local thing. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it's almost an it. analog too to like Cavas, which now is made all over the place though you can find commercial examples everywhere but for a long time that was the same kind of thing that you know you you would go to 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 poland and russia and people would sell you you know something you know in like a two liter plastic bottle and oh katie's raising her hand folks not paying attention What's <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. Good, question. good question but yes we'll actually have to do an episode on kvass is yeah, it like Pachin in Ireland, where much much lower alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> typically. No, it's, it's still it's a beer. Yeah, it's still more beer. It's not gonna. You're not gonna go blind. Or <laughs> <laughs> although I, I I am I keep being told someone's gonna bring us a bottle of Pachin or sorry bottle. It's probably the wrong word. A plastic, you know, two liter jug. <laughs> it's is going to appear at our house at some point because I presume that's the <laughs> traditional delivery yeah method. it yes. would have been a plastic like 2k but uh, sorry tk red lemonade or something oh, like good. that you know <laughs> just to just um hide it in something else oh it's lemonade it's fine oh and we should say shout out to the listeners if you make chicha or if you yes. know a commercial brewery or if you brew this at home please get in touch i would love to talk to you interview you all that fun yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Cause, and, and the dogfish ones are really interesting. They do a slightly different one every couple of years that they only distribute sort of in the immediate vicinity of the brewery. It may be brew pub only, or they'll do a very small bottling run just because it is hard to make the way they're, uh, which I'm, I'm, I'm air quoting for people at home. Uh, they're, you know, doing the traditional way. So they do 
sort of pass around like at the holiday party, get all the employees to at least contribute contribute a, um, a bit. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, again, it all goes into the kettle. It all gets boiled. It's, it gets you know, sanitized. It gets sanitized. <laughs> although I do wonder, actually, that's an interesting question. I do wonder in a sort of eventually, hopefully post-COVID world, will we be like, oh, maybe not? Or well, but um, if stuff gets boiled down, like the germs are killed. Well, they are, and even if you know that, is it enough? I, I don't know. It's for no, me, that's okay. enough. For me, <laughs> not for everybody else. <laughs> I don't think that, like, knowing that it was inside someone else's mouth at some stage is just a bit, <laughs> isn't not? But, but you don't have to make chicha that way. There's other yeah. ways to make it. So Absolutely. you know, if we're talking in a commercial process, we don't have to do that. And the home brewers at home aren't necessarily doing that. that yeah. As Lisa said, anymore that that is one way of many um, to make chicha. So you know. Yeah, I think the, the other interesting thing that we haven't talked about it as much as again is if you're making it at home and you're you're filtering it through the uh, through the hay or through straw, like what what kind of flavor does that give? Like that may well add some interesting notes that uh, you know would, would be kind of desirable in say like certain fancy Belgian beers where you like to just be like, oh, it has a very sort of barnyard terroir. And you're like that sounds fancy, but really at the end of the day, you're just saying like it smells like horses and straw. So. Horse know, blanket. Horse blanket. Yes. One of my favorites, uh, one of my horse favorite blanket. beer terms. Yes. But, uh, but at the same time too, like that could just be a really lovely kind of very clean sort of note that it imparts to, or it, it could go the other way. And some people like that all good. So there's a lot that we could sort of go through with that sort of traditional process. Even if you take out again, that, that chewing part, just, you know, just filtering something through straw and, you know, fermenting something at home very quickly, it's, it's definitely going to have a different flavor from something you're, you know, putting in a, you know, in a dark place and leaving for three months. So do we want to take a beer break? We'll take a beer break. We'll come back with our second beers. Yeah. Hey, this is Joanne and you're listening to the Beer Ladies Podcast. Well, all right, and we are back from our beer break. We are all stocked up again for our second round of drinking. (laughs) I am drinking a Siege Pale Ale from Western Herd, and I've chosen this. uh, I haven't really drank that much of them, but I am from Clare. And while I have been in my travels around the world, they sprung up. in. uh, So I've decided to try them and support local. There you That's go. Wonderful. And I've got, uh, I'm sorry for the glare for people who are looking, but I, for those at home, I have Hope Underdog. That is their hoppy lager. And uh, chat more uh, about this in a little bit, but I'm very excited because they have a hoppy red ale coming out for the holidays. So Sounds seasonal nice. beer coming up. So we'll chat more about that in a little bit. And I am drinking another Belgian beer. Goes to Hollywood. It's brews, brewed with oranges. So yeah i feel like i've had this one before but maybe i haven't so and and i'm still on the chicha Murata because this is delicious and it's a school night so Ooh. you know we're we're taking it easy yeah i work early tomorrow and i suppose uh, the color in that as for people who are listening the color in your glass it's is beautiful. amazing it's purpley it's so pretty <laughs> yeah it's like a good yeah. deep purple yeah. It really is, yeah. For people who love, like I love a, I, I love the blue corn chips, the blue corn tortilla chips. It's it's a but a much more purple than a blue. It's a yeah. beautiful color. 
I should probably explain what it kind of tastes like. Yeah. Um, I haven't done that. So um, the corn gives it like this and the sugar. <laughs> I use brown sugar to give it a more depth of flavor, oh, but it's yeah. got this sort of like sweet, but again, like the chicha beer, very like light, very refreshing. And then there's the lime and the apples, which sort of push up those bright, crisp flavors. And then, of course, it's made with um, like cinnamon or nutmeg. And as I said, I used um, Trader Joe's pumpkin spice mix, which has like lemon peel and things in it, which also just elevate those sort of bright flavors. So this is an amazingly clean, refreshing, delicious, complex drink that I would think would be perfect on, say, um, as we're in fall, a sunny fall day outside with crisp leaves around. This just sounds also nice, warm summer day. This is very, very good. Uh, very big fan. Perfect if you've been for a walk within your 5K. So. Yes. 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 For those also following <laughs> along at home, Christina had a great idea. We are all tweeting and Instagramming things within our 5K. So hashtag 5K history of interesting things around Dublin within our allotted 5k that we can look at so other people please contribute it's it's good times even if you're not locked down what's within 5k of your house that's just interesting and cool like let us know yeah i haven't posted my picture for today yet but um it's the original source of the lucan spa that was used Mm. by the lucan spa hotel oh fascinating and i have walked past it so many times and until one of my kids did a history project on it i was like Oh my God, that's it there, right that's on my wall. Cool. Yeah, it's oh, really cool. There's, there's also, if you're in Ireland, um, heritagemaps.ie uh, is amazing. Um, I've been using that to find local history and it is just wonderful. So many things that I walk past every day, I didn't realize were as old as they are, 200 years old. There's a bridge like right up the street from me that's, you know, built in like 1854. I had no idea. Really, really interesting stuff. And um it pulls up all the details for for what it is too, and it tells you when it's built and who built it. Very, very interesting. So I do recommend heritagemaps.ie to kind of just see what's around you as well. Yeah, they've, they've done a great job and I, I'm going to try to go exploring. Hopefully this week I've taken the week off because it is the half term. Kids are off school, maybe for one week, maybe more. We don't know. But uh, there's a holy well somewhere near me. So I'm going to go see if I can find it. Now it's in the middle of a kind of 1990s housing estate type Thing, but it's meant to still be there and it's meant to be accessible so i'm, I'm gonna see if i can go sure. find the well so that should be good times that's cool that's very cool yeah how about you carolyn what are you what are you near i'm sorry you're mid-drink for i those who are... found there's a park and it was something about like will it was like one of william wallace's castles or something but like there's no like whatever was there is gone now there's a park and there's that's like, something in the park. That's like not that far. From, and then there's something called the Pit Pale Ditch. Oh, I haven't okay. oh, been. Oh, you were talking about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about a 20 minute walk. That's um, good. So, I, yeah, do take a picture of that. I'm interested in that. Um, I like looked it up to see what it was, but I forgot what it said. I, I like um, a good ditch. It sounds boring, but for, for like us weird history and archaeology nerds, ditches are a big thing. Yeah. I like um, <laughs> It's I'll true. have to send y'all because there's like a plaque on it and it says what it is. I, I just like Google or mapped it or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, there's a couple things. I thought the William Wallace thing was kind of cool, but it's kind of sad that there's like a park now and there's like no evidence really that it was like, not that there's no evidence, but like there's not like a plaque or anything that says, oh, this is XYZ. You can just walk there and 
Yeah, Yay, again, here's a park. <laughs> yeah, folks, check out the hashtag. But Christina, I, I really appreciated the one you did the other day of um, uh, at the at the pub um, because yes, I've been to the pub in question. Oh, Brazenhead. Yes, Brazenhead, which which is a fun place. Uh, you know, tourists. If you're here, you get taken as a as a sort of very touristy thing. But yes, they 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 put this. Let's just say it. They put this very apocryphal date outside. Um, which is all fine, you know, I, I, I get it. But I, I do like that, you know, it doesn't mean things didn't happen there before. Just, you know, eh, a little bit different from the story. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, a lot of places like to claim prominence a lot earlier sure. than than really what is actually there. Or they or they had this idea, well, there was something here then, so we're just going to say it was this thing. Yeah. 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 When yeah. there's no proof of that. But you know what? We're just we're just going to do that because reasons. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a very nice lamp store next door. So it's, it's, you know, it's something for everyone. <laughs> there you go. But it is a, it is a fun place to go. They actually do have really good music of a, you know, of an evening. Um, although I will say it is a bit of a confusing bar if you're there after going on a pub crawl, but you can't, can't do it at the moment, but it's got lots of like little snugs in different rooms. You can get lost if you're not paying attention, even though it's not a big place. But again, I think that's, what's interesting about finding out what is in your your 5k there's all these little sort of oddball things you don't realize are there and that's fantastic so it's it's great just to to see what's uh what's all around you even if carolyn like you're saying maybe there's nothing cool to see above ground but at least if there's a plaque you can start to look it up and yeah, yeah. there no or i like- had no idea bram stoker's house was like right up the street from me which yeah. oh, blown away and apparently they used to they they stored like twenty thousand. 000- uh, your pound of of Russian crown jewels in there as a as a loan um, guarantee for something with the Irish um, revolution. Well, he was he would have worked as a public servant and sold his it was, dad. It was it, it was, was in Bram Stoker. It was, it was later. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. Um, it was it was it was it was during the yeah the Irish rebellion. So it was, so it was, it was his house rising. a museum or is it? No, just... I think it's no, still a private residence. No, it's yeah. a private residence. Interesting. Um, actually, our our friend Becky um almost rented it when she was here. Before. Oh, she was yeah. just telling me about that. She wanted to rent it, but it was just too far from from their work. But I was like, how could you not live in Bram Stoker's house? Um, for those who aren't uh probably familiar with Bram Stoker, he is the gentleman who wrote Dracula. So all of those lovely vampire movies and things that you like, you can uh, you can thank you thank Bram Stoker for that. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize it was so close. But yes, no, Katie, as you were saying, um, yeah, they were they were quite involved in in public service. But no, this was this was after after the Stokers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, there's there's a really good new stuff you missed in history class podcast on on Bram Stoker, and they they don't get into the ways he sort of. I would say problematic from like an Irish history perspective because he was very like yay Britain is awesome and the best thing ever and everyone should want to be ruled by the British Empire because it's great it's the best thing ever we'll gloss over a little bit of that and, and again mm. you know there's he, he had his own reasons for for that particular viewpoint and some of like stuff in the lair of the right white worm if you've read the lair of the white worm you're like oh that's a little problematic in terms of how we're sort of seeing people from other cultures but What's interesting about, I think, about Bram Stoker and about Dracula specifically is like after he died, because he died relatively young, I think only in his 40s or Mm. early 50s, but his wife was such an advocate for like his legacy. She kept the copyright for everything. And she was like, we are doing this the right way. We're all getting paid. And boom, she got it done. So 
She Women was getting to... shit done. He got yeah. shit done. That was the thing. <laughs> As like, always. His, you know, it was not a big, it was not his most famous publication when he died by any means. Like Dracula was like, oh, that thing he wrote was fine. But then, you know, when Hollywood came a calling, she was like, okay, but we're getting, you know, we're getting the money. Give and me the money. Boom. <laughs> so she, you know, she had the vision to to keep that going. And and actually if a fascinating thing to do if you're like, when we're not locked down. Marsh's library here in Dublin has all the books that Bram Stoker did check out while he was doing research for years and years and years before he wrote Dracula. And some of them are a little more, you know, tangential, but some of them are like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. And he did a lot of interesting work. And Marsh's library is just super cool anyway. So plug for any. Is that the one that the books are locked in? Yes. To... They're locked yeah. In my friend, yeah. Um, she studies 18th century whatever she told me she was walking around one day and she told me that I needed to go there it's it's and I was like well it's not open right now and she's like yeah but like it's kind of cool she's like because they kind of lock you in there and some of the books have like bullet holes in them like they're like glued like but if you move the book it'll fall apart so like that's right that yeah they have some of the that that basically was like in the window and in 1916 they had a you know the bullet came through the window and hit the book and it's still uh, it's still there yeah. but it's a fascinating place and it and has a good ghost story associated with it too so that's good for for the spooky time of year because uh, it is haunted by narcissus marsh uh who was the the founder and that was his real name that's not like a made-up harry potter name his <laughs> name was Mar- made up harry potter name marsh. <laughs> uh but his his niece was his you know housekeeper which is you know what we called young women who were stuck looking after their elderly male relatives and uh, he he didn't want her to get married or didn't want her to get married to whomever the story is a little it changes depending on when when you read it but uh, she apparently ran off and got married to a curate from somewhere else in Dublin or a sailor depending again on when you read the story sounds like the sailor part didn't happen but fine it's a better story but uh, she's meant to have left a note for him in one of the books to say like, oh, so sorry, we're running off, but you know, you were just a shitty uncle or, or whatever. Oh, and that's right. She was telling me about that, but, yes. but the note was never found. The note was never found. And so his ghost comes and looks yeah. in all the books for the wow. note. So, yes. We heard about yeah, that on a ghost tour. Yeah, oh, she said, she yeah. said the, um, she said they do a lot of good events um, there and yeah, yeah, I did a, I did an event there at the for the Bram Stoker Festival last year, which is great. And they're trying to do a lot of stuff online this year. So hopefully that's at least going to keep something going. But uh, yeah, they, they had some really fun stuff last year. Um, and I'm sure they were going to do more this year, but obviously not not so much in person. I'm walking into town on Friday because they're doing the um, the what is it? It's the comedy spooky ghost like audio thing are you doing the one where they're projecting stuff on the buildings i'm not gonna stay that late at night i'm gonna do it during the day for safety reasons Uh, yeah fair enough because i'm gonna be doing it by myself so and i'm gonna walk into town and back because you're you know not supposed to take public transportation right um so i'm just gonna walk in in town and back so i'm just gonna do it um because good thing about my job is i'm done at like one o'clock now um they have to get up at a ridiculous o'clock in the morning so um yeah I'm just gonna walk into town after work and do that 
that's really and is that where you listen to it on your phone and it gives you like a description of all the different sites and yeah, yeah. it's like a, it's like a comedy ghost horror walking tour that sounds really cool oh, sounds it's free right so like why not well i'm yeah. outside it's 5k <laughs> yeah it's in the 5k it's all good yeah i'm gonna download uh they're doing some kind of uh audio drama type thing that you're meant to listen to alone in your bed oh i saw that oh. So, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Money. That's gonna creep me out. No, <laughs> I will have nightmares for five months. <laughs> oh, it'll uh, be good. Oh my gosh, Caroline, you would. I, I like was. I stayed up last night watching like three different horror movies. Nope. And... <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. No. I, I have a vivid imagination, so I like think things are there when they're really not, and I just don't get good sleep because I'm paranoid as shit i'm like oh my god it's gonna murder me <laughs> when like that's not really gonna happen but in my head i think it is <laughs> uh i don't know we, we've been watching all uh lately since we're just at home and i have the week off we've been watching a lot of reeling in the years to try to get up to speed with crazy things that happened in ireland before we moved here and so it's, it's good when they get like a, a, the odd seasonal thing although it's uh i i don't know katie what's what's your view on on the show i feel like it's so so fascinating what they choose to focus on i i think it's good like they'll always cover the eurovision they'll always cover the gaa (laughs) whatever was going on um that it's all it has it has the music of the year as the soundtrack which i love but uh i think it's really good like i get very nostalgic yeah watching it really nostalgic and i think it's a really good program to watch if you're new to new to ireland uh, to try and figure out like what's been going on yeah, what we originally it? started watching because uh, my for those at home, my 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 older kid doesn't know who Jedward are. And I'm like, <gasps> oh, come on, let's. <laughs> they were in Sharknado. They made it big, you know. That's right. And 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 again, folks at home, if you're not following Jedward on Twitter, you're missing out. They are amazing. They are the heroes we didn't know we needed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing. They have turned out to be just very. Just, really nice guys who i'm fairly level-headed yeah, yeah i know? didn't know i'd be saying jedward is the voice of reason in 2020 yeah. but here we are <laughs> yeah. here here we are i think i think 2020 jedward versus daddy Frere in the eurovision final you know <laughs> oh my gosh Oh gosh, I miss Eurovision go and just well, well. On the plus side, for all of you, um, Halloween Samhain is is which is New Year, so the year is up for me. Yes, on October thirty first, and I am done with twenty twenty. I like that perspective. That's, <laughs> there that's you go. A good way to think about it. So we're moving on from this bad energy. <laughs> oh, we're... we might just need to sacrifice something. I, I just need to watch The Wicker Man like ten times and. Yeah. <laughs> Just go put some apples outside for the wandering spirits and, and pour out pour out some ale and some beer and, you know. Carve a turnip because that's yes. what the Irish did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, yeah. I've got, I'm going to post about this tomorrow, but I was doing some research on some of the ancient traditions of Samhain. And, and one of them was literally hurling cabbages at, at doors. And I'm like, perfect. We need to bring this back. Yes. For several reasons. One, it's socially distant and outside. So yes. Locked down approved. Two, 
you don't have to share your candy. You get to eat all that yourself and three delicious cabbage. I like cabbage. So, you know, free cabbage that you can turn (laughs) into your dinner. I just think it's a win, win, win situation. So I I propose that we bring back hurling cabbages at other people's bars with consent. You all have to agree to it. We're not just going to chuck cabbages at everyone's house. We all have to get together and agree. But if you want, I will come chuck a cabbage at your door. There you go. That's fair. No, then everyone can make kimchi. It's fine. It's all good. Oh, yeah. Kimchi. Oh, that sounds delicious. No, I want kimchi. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Speak, speaking of um, funny historical things. So I, I was, um, I used to teach at Trinity and, and I was going through some of my like class notes and I came across this picture of um, the, this, this picture called McSweeney's Feast. And um, if you can Google it, I would Google it. Like I get said, it's McSweeney's Feast. And so it's a, it's a picture of of Irish people drinking and having this this feast, and it's it's not meant to be uh, good. It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 um the the context is not a good one. But you you see this this gentleman uh, hanging out kind of in the corner, and he he's bent over and he's he's got his iris out and he's sort of mooning everyone, and it just kind of looks like you know they're they're just kind of taking the piss, but. It is possible and probably likely that this 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 person was a professional farter. Yes. <laughs> what? I think I think that without me even knowing what you're going to say, that I have that this runs in my family. I think we must have been professional farters through the generations, and we just forgot about our skill. You know, it's it's, it's a serious thing in medieval Ireland. They are uh, they are listed uh, together with other like types of musicians and things like professional farters, flatulists are a thing. And it wasn't just in medieval Ireland; it was all over the world. Yeah, um, yeah. people talk about it in Japan and other places. But so would they do songs like like what all like, kinds of stuff? Like there's some good horrible <laughs> histories on this. Yeah, yeah, there there are, there are some that apparently like could fart without smell like that was like the big thing <gasps> oh wow like and and yeah all kinds of like songs and and could make all kinds of noises besides just like the the traditional of course fart sound um but yeah this this was a thing um and so i just laugh about that every time i think about it that there were people that were professional farters and you know some of them made quite a bit because this this continued for 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 a long time and they some of them made quite the living doing this oh the beans you would have to eat (laughs) for that job just to keep consistent or the guinness you'd have to drink yeah well yeah (laughs) Oh my god! Can you imagine? Oh, oh my god! Well, <laughs> I've, should... I've gone down a whole rabbit hole of sort of the the other historic porter and stout breweries of of Ireland because there were many, and then they were all gone except, you know, obviously for the for the big guns. But like like again, I was saying Mountjoy Brewery. They were the number two yeah. porter, you know, brewery and and export. I'm like, oh, I want to know more. But where did they all go? And it, it's weird. It's a different. They got bought situation. out. But Guinness, it, it Guinness went under. They all went under. They had certain techniques to that they made you an oh, offer you couldn't refuse. I you bet know? They sure. did. Yeah. And they still do that, don't they? Yeah. It's like you feel bad for the craft brewers trying to get trying to get onto a tap, and they're like, well, Guinness, we're we're a Guinness pub, so yeah, like all these one. taps are Guinness. So you have we have one tap yeah. here, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, the whole sort of pay to play thing is very 
Ooh, it's still going on. Yeah, like you say, somewhere, but it's it's so interesting to me. But yeah, I was like, oh, it's it's fascinating to think there was this whole other other brewery doing basically the same thing. Yeah. But you know, on a smaller scale. And I was looking at where they were exporting to, and they were exported to like Greece and Cyprus. And I was like, ooh, I wonder like why the Mediterranean market specifically. And I saw something that said, oh, our, you know, our stout is specially brewed to handle the the temperatures and the journey. I was like, is it? really because you know that's always the old story about ipa which is also nonsense and we'll talk about that some other time but it was fascinating to me that that was still kind of the the talking point into like you know the mid-20th century we were like really we have refrigeration guys like what's going on here and when did that that mount joy brewery finish it was in the 1940s was it 50s i think early 50s 50s, or mid 50s yeah and then but there's still again there's still some buildings there and uh uh, and that are vacant that I, I think are just part of that sort of industrial estate sitting there and I was like oh that would be really interesting if you could turn that into sort of you know like, like you th- you think if you go to like Kilkenny Castle and you have all those cool sort of artisanal businesses where you have jewelry makers and things like that like that would be fascinating as a you know place to get people to visit you know use these vacant buildings to turn it into you know yeah. some kind of cool business but you know get everyone's Etsy shop there you know in real life but uh, maybe someday yeah yeah it's a whole thing but anyway i had another talking point because i have too many ideas so yes what more about other, chicha brewing actually less about chicha what oh. other seasonal beers are we excited about coming out in the near future because I, again i'm drinking a hope here and they have a red ipa coming out for their uh i think it's their christmas beer i've not seen it around yet but i got excited about that so i don't know if anyone else has other seasonal things they're looking forward to yeah uh shiner buck has a good oh. christmas cheer beer oh um, gosh i've not only, had that in years that yeah. only comes around christmas time and st arnold's brewery um they're actually the oldest brewery i think in texas i know they are in houston um they also have a good christmas oh. beer I go cannot for good wait for, for White Hag's uh, Mexican hot chocolates. Oh, um, yeah, that one sounds good. I, yeah. I like a good spicy Mexican hot chocolate, so I am very much looking forward to this, and I have very high hopes, so throw <laughs> it up. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Well, maybe you were saying the eggnog from them, right? So Yeah, they have oh, an eggnog right. one coming out as well. So I'm really looking forward to trying that one. Oh, that's interesting. Oh. I'm not a big eggnog fan. Would try, but the Mexican Mexican hot chocolate, I'm like, ooh. Mm. But right? would still try the eggnog just as a, you know, for oh, science. Yeah. You give it a go, right? Right. Definitely. Give it a lash. Exactly. Yeah, the weirder, the more likely I am to try it just for reasons. Um, but yeah, they both yeah. sound like things I will buy and drink. <laughs> yeah I, I'm curious I, I've bought and by the time people are listening to this I will have probably consumed most of but uh, the, the 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 lads at Crack Beer community are uh, doing a dark ales box that's coming out this week and sort of just before Halloween they're gonna you know taste them and see so hopefully there's a box of dark beer coming to my house in the next couple of days so uh, I mean frankly I saw I was like oh interesting fine fine but then I saw like black IP and I was like oh Oh, oh, I love a good black IPA. So I was like, I don't care who makes it. I don't care. Just the whole box is coming to my house. All so, the whole to box. me. Yeah. I was like, I will certainly drink the rest. No problem. But that was like, mm, yes. You have to tell me about it. I'm very jealous. I love a good black IPA. It sold but... out quickly, this box. So, so some of us definitely try it and give give all y'all 
feedback but the real thing is there's a different seasonal beer from pennsylvania i miss so i I don't know christina you may have relatives who can get this but trogues who make gorgeous beer yeah they have they have it around my mom's house they have had so they're they used to make in bottles every year this uh just beautiful hoppy porter uh that now it's a brew pub only beer that they make around halloween but it is just the most beautiful thing and now you can only get it you know when you go to the brew pub and i'm like are people doing that now is that a thing you can do because like here where we're in lockdown i'm like I'm not going anywhere but yeah my 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 for people who don't know my my mom and my dad live in in pennsylvania actually my aunt and my uncle live in pennsylvania as well um and while the state is not officially on lockdown, my family is. Yeah. My, my mom's a breast cancer survivor and she just had a pacemaker put in. My dad, well, and they're both in their 70s. And then my aunt, um, she's high risk and her husband's also high risk. Yeah. So uh, I don't let them out of the house. No, I, I mean, I'm in Ireland, but I, I, I don't let them out of the house. Um, I would yell at them. Um, so they're going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but if they can get someone to pick up a Trogue's Dead Reckoning for them, oh gorgeous beer and it's only at halloween halloween and sort of you know early pre-thanksgiving but it's a gorgeous beer one seasonal beer that i always like is uh the brooklyn old-fashioned oh brooklyn brewery it just it just is like christmas pudding huh. in a in a beer i think yeah. it's delicious sounds good that is good gosh i've not had it in years but you're right it's yeah beer. need a spoon yeah. <laughs> you <know> uh, <laughs> for your apples. for your apples Oh, I bet they're good though now, right? Like they're all just kind of... Oh, they're delicious. I'm definitely getting a spoon. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> For those who are just listening, like Christina's apples in her beautiful drink have just absorbed that sort of purple color and they, they look, look good. good. It's like the best part of sangria from a college yeah. party yes. you know, because you get really <laughs> drunk from the fruit. I <laughs> always there's no, there's no alcohol sangria. in this though. Yeah. I would I would think it would be really nice. I think I, think I saw um that they make it with um oh what is it pico pico sour um right is that the right i'm just completely lost my brain the (laughs) words are hard and i'm not even drinking alcohol um but yeah but i think this would also go really nicely with um just like some spiced rum because of all the like spices in it i think spiced rum would be nice yeah um, so i'll probably do some experimentation and give that a try but i i was very happy with it not being alcoholic sometimes it's nice to have something that's yeah. not alcoholic yeah. especially yeah, since i have to be up at the crack of dawn ridiculous o'clock tomorrow morning for work ah <laughs> uh, i'm off this week as well like oh, Lisa, gosh, because the school the kids are off school it is amazing i, I had a nap that. today i had oh, a nap it was amazing <laughs> jealous that's beautiful yeah no i i i I let my smaller one just go run around outside while i watched from the balcony was just like ah (laughs) i don't have to do anything just sit here just stand there yeah i didn't have to answer any angry emails no one shouted at me about any well okay no that's not true i was shouted at by my children but that doesn't that doesn't count no that's that's just a thing that doesn't count no one shouted at me about work so i was just like yeah it's beautiful so yeah not that I get shouted at all the time, just, you know, a couple times a day. It's, it's <laughs> just a thing. A few times a day. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally normal. <laughs> I sure. Know. I don't know. But, but uh, I don't know, Carol, tell us more about sort of the, the Shiner Block and what was the other one? Uh, uh, like, it's been such a long time since I've had it. Uh, St. Arnold's beer. I was just hmm. looking it up here. St. Um, Arnold's, yeah. 
Yeah, so they're pretty sure they're one of the oldest breweries. I'm pretty sure they are the oldest brewery. Let me correct myself. Uh, but they have a seasonal beers. So I was just looking at their seasonal beers because I haven't, I, mean, I haven't been in Austin in a year and a half, so I don't know if they yeah. have any more. But they have an Oktoberfest one, oh. a Christmas ale, which is available October to December. It's a rich copper color hearty ale, perfect for holiday season with malty sweetness and spicy hop character. They are saying to eat it with fruitcake, Christmas pudding, and squash bisque. Mm, squash bisque sounds good. I don't, I don't think I've ever had that, but now I want to have that. <laughs> it has five different malts Ooh. in the beer. And then they have a Texas winter IPA, December to February. Um, and they have four hops in it, Galaxy, Columbus, Simcone, and Cascade hops. And then they also have a Pumpkinator beer. Sounds <laughs> like my thing. <laughs> which sounds like something that most people would like. Um, yeah. I'm saving my last couple pumpkin beers for when we when we chat about, uh, well, American Thanksgiving or not in a couple of weeks. So folks, listen in a couple of weeks and I'll, I'll do a Pepsi challenge. But yeah, let me look at Ooh. the Shiner Cheer one. Shiner's also a Texas brewery. Yeah, Shiner is, I mean, a Shiner Bach, like they've probably done more to, you know, sort of introduce people in certain parts of America to other German beers than, you know, almost anyone. Oh, like, I love a good know, Shiner Bach. Like, good. judge me, but like. No, I've, I've, I've been to the Alamo Draft House in Austin, like a couple Shiner Bachs and just some, you know, yeah. fried food in a film. Like, it's gorgeous. It's, it's a Bavarian style wheat ale brewed from Texas peaches and, ro- and roasted pecans. Oh wow! Ooh. It's really oh. good. Interesting, huh? So I'll be visiting you sooner rather than later, huh? <laughs> Come on! Ah, uh, yeah, no, sorry, COVID will not let me leave the house. No, I know. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We've come to the end of our episode. Um, it's been great talking to everyone about Chicha and ranting about other things. <laughs> um, you can find us on social media, um, Beer Ladies Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Again, we're on any podcast site out there. I know there's every a week. You can't you can't get away from us every week <laughs> until we decide to stop which will probably be never. (laughs) So, all right. uh, We will see y'all next week. Until then. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.